Welcome to the podcast of Living Faith Fellowship in Klamath Falls, Oregon. Now, you will hear Pastor Rich preach the sermon, Leadership for the Church, from Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 32, and Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. We pray that God will use this sermon to speak to you directly. And now, to Pastor Rich. So I thought I would start out by giving just a basic definition of what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who responds to Jesus and his invitation to receive the free gift of eternal life. And most of us in the room would say, yeah, I got that. The Apostle John in 1 John 5.11 said this. This is the testimony. Notice how you get eternal life. That God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. It's really elementary, right? If you have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you don't have Jesus, you do not have eternal life. So that's elementary. But after salvation, there are several things that the Lord prompts us to do. And I want to share just a couple of them with you. First thing is after salvation, Jesus invites us after we're saved, then to enjoy and enter the abundant life. And that happens by following his will for our lives. Jesus would say it this way. Trust me and walk in my ways and you will have abundant life. After salvation though, and after the abundant life, then there's another requirement to be used greatly in his kingdom. Mark 9, 35, he sat down, called the 12 and said to them, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. You wanna be great in the kingdom? You gotta be last and you gotta serve. Keep that in the back of your mind as you open your Bibles two places this morning as we take a couple of week break out of the Gospel of Mark. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, put a bookmark there, and then turn on over to Ephesians chapter 4. Starting in February for several weeks on Sunday afternoons, we are going to have some leadership meetings. This is informational to some people, and it will be what spurs others on into leadership positions. As we continue to grow as a fellowship, we need godly servant leaders who wanna love Jesus and serve him here at Living Faith Fellowship. So many times people wanna know, how are decisions made here? How could I serve here? How does all this work? If you're here, and your hands are to the plow, you will probably have a say-so in how things go. So if you come February Sunday afternoons after lunch, we're gonna have a several week get together to describe the things I'm gonna tell you today in a more detailed manner. And it's also going to see if God would prompt your heart into some sort of leadership position here at Living Faith Fellowship. So here's the challenge. I'm asking you to pray and seek the Lord if he wants you to have a leadership position here. Like any family or organization, 
There are always potential dangers lurking behind the scenes. And so we need godly sold out leaders to protect and teach the body. Specifically, our church needs some deacons. Our church needs some deaconesses. Our church needs some elders. And we need some other leadership positions. We are growing and there's a lot of ministry happening behind the scenes. No one knows, you know, when we do this or do that. And I'm so blessed to have a staff that can do some of the things. But God, in his wisdom, set up the body of Christ where every member is a minister. And you have a part to play. 108 down to eight years old. You have a part to play. And God in his wisdom has told us through his word how to recognize godly leaders. So with that in mind, look at your Sunday note sheet, Roman numeral one, spiritual leaders given to profit the body. If your Bibles are open, Ephesians chapter four, let's begin with verse 11. The apostle Paul says, and he, Jesus himself gave some to be apostles some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So God, in his wisdom, gave gifted leaders to train members to be ministers. That's what the Lord did. That's his way of doing things within his body. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 7, said this. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Notice he didn't say, follow those people who don't live godly lives. No, look at their conduct and then follow them. God uses his church to bring out the best in his children. That's what God uses the church for. And it's the Lord's plan that each and every one of us become more Christ-like. So really quickly, if you're new here and you say, well, why does Living Faith Fellowship exist? The number one reason we exist as a fellowship at Living Faith Fellowship is to exalt and worship and praise and glory the Lord Jesus Christ, our King of Kings. That's the number one reason we exist, through worship and service and unity. Number two, and maybe if you've noticed, there's some people who are newer to the fellowship that came up to me and they said something along the lines of, every week, no matter what the passage is, you always seem to bring the gospel into it. I don't know where everyone is eternally. I don't know whether you know Jesus or not. Some of you I know, but not everyone. So it is my duty within the passage to tell you how you can escape sin's penalty and have eternal life. The next, we exist to make disciples. That's equipping the saints, teaching and equipping you to do the work of the ministry. And last, we exist to encourage one another through fellowship. The Lord in his wisdom, again, has given different members to fill his body. And every one of us are called to minister. There in your notes. So when a body of believers 
is obediently following his plan, there's fruit, growth, joy, and unity. But the opposite is true as well, unfortunately. When parts of the body seek to disrupt the proper order of things, it can lead to chaos and division. As followers of Christ, no one is above authority. Every single believer of Jesus Christ is under some sort of authority. You might say, but Rich, you're the senior pastor. All that means is I'm the servant of all. That's all that should mean. Every single one of us is under some kind of authority. None of us is the end all, be all. None of us. There's no one alive on planet Earth that doesn't have some sort of authority over them. So Paul gave a list of different members within the body and different leadership positions. And there's a couple of passages, we'll go over them, that I want to talk about exactly what Paul said. Paul gave this list of different people. And let's just focus really quickly on the office of pastor, teacher. The pastor, according to Peter, is the under shepherd of the flock. Peter calls Jesus the chief shepherd when the chief shepherd appears. And so the pastor is the under shepherd. And imagine, I am accountable to the chief shepherd of how I shepherd the flock. It's scary. But do you know the word pastor in the New Testament is synonymous with several other words? The word pastor is the same word as elder, bishop, overseer. 1 Peter 5, 2, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. The primary function of a pastor is to protect the flock when it comes to doctrine and to teach. Protect the flock and teach. And the nourishment that I am to offer you comes from the word of God, not my opinion. My opinion means nothing. It's the word of God. There in your notes, God uses his gifted leaders to direct his church. And just as a church needs godly leaders, it also needs followers to imitate those who follow Jesus closely. The apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 one says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Notice he didn't say, imitate me no matter what I say. And notice Paul here in Ephesians says, it's for the equipping of the saints. Give you the equipment needed to go and do the work of the ministry. But that word equipping in the Greek has another meaning. It's the same word for setting a broken bone. It's the same word used to fixing fishing nets, mending nets, fixing a bone. The pastors, the leaders are to equip or set the bones back in order, fix the nets so that you could use your gifts then to edify the body, build up the body. Again, the reason why it's so important to go with God's method of leadership is to keep a proper order of things. So Roman numeral two, unity is the result of maturity. Unity is the result of maturity. Look at verse 13. The apostle Paul says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God to a perfect man, that's a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children 
tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share and causes growth of the body and the edifying of itself in love. God wants his children to grow up. And the way to accomplish that is by the power and love of the Holy Spirit living in us. If you've been in Christ for any amount of time and there's been no change since the day you gave your heart to Christ till now, Houston, we have a problem. And you see, when the church is growing and maturing, there will be evidence. There will be. You can look around and see it. Number one there in your notes. The first evidence of maturity is Christ-likeness. A Christ-like person has the qualities of Christ. Now let me have a small commercial break here. No one can be perfect. If anyone could be perfect, then Christ died in vain. Okay, so this is not talking about perfection. This is talking about having Christ-like qualities. You become Christ-like when two things happen. Number one, you realize you have been set free from the power of death and sin. You know that. You know that you know that you know you've been set free. And then number two, catch this, it's important. You live in your new identity. See, if you know who you are in Christ and you live in that identity, then you will have Christ-like attributes, like a newborn baby. When we first got saved, we didn't have the wisdom and the knowledge that comes with maturity. But Peter said in 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said to grow. If you're not grown, here's the thing about Christianity. Christianity has no neutral. You are either growing in Christ or you are backsliding. There's no neutral. So Peter would say, grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. All right, number two, the second evidence of maturity is stability. Stability. Immature believers fall for false doctrine all the time. And the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians says that we're no longer children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. The first church I ever served in, I was a youth pastor in Penn Valley, California. And I remember a woman came in and she said, I heard of this new thing that's sweeping through the churches. You got to hear about it. But it was this thing called listening prayer. And when you got to the end of this thing called listening prayer, what it really was, was Middle Eastern philosophy. And it was false doctrine. And it's like Paul would say, don't fall for every new wind of doctrine going through the church. Listen, my God is big. My God is strong. There's nothing my God cannot do. I believe that with all my heart, but it must line up with his word. Test all things. Hold fast to that which is true. You know, there's religious quacks out there just hoping to take new believers on, on a, a tour of false doctrine. 
And we got to be so careful. The person who's mature stays clear of that stuff. Number three, the third evidence of maturity is truth combined with love. I've said this before. I don't have a problem telling you the truth. Where I have a problem is telling you the truth in love. But Ephesians 4.15 says, speaking the truth in love. It has been said that truth without love is brutality. But love without truth is hypocrisy. Always speak the truth, but make sure you're doing it in love. Some people think that it's good to refrain from telling others the truth because let's just keep the peace at any cost. So don't tell them the truth. And I would say that is so wrong because if I truly love you, I'm going to warn you of the upcoming pitfalls that I see. We have to be so careful that we think before we speak, because sometimes we speak before we think and we can ruin relationships or jobs or other things because we just were so brutal with the truth that we can cut someone off at the knees instead of doing it in love. Receiving the truth always brings about freedom because truth doesn't change. Just as God doesn't change, neither does his truth. John 17, Jesus very clearly said, and your word is truth. So we need the truth, but we need it in love. All right, number four, the fourth evidence of maturity is cooperation. Warren Wiersbe has said that every believer, no matter how insignificant they may seem, has a ministry. You have a ministry. 108 years old, you have a ministry. The body grows as individuals within the body grow and minister to one another. He went on to say that an isolated Christian can neither minister to others, nor can they grow because it's impossible to use your gifts if you're not with others. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 24 said this, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as we see the day approaching. Exhort one another and so much more. As you look at this world and you say, surely Jesus is coming back soon. Exhort one another and so much more as we see the day approaching. So maturity happens when every member, every part of the body does what they're called to do, which is then effective working according to the Apostle Paul. Can I tell you something, though? I, I did the communion on unity and spiritual unity cannot be manufactured. It's just like an apple. An apple can't go through a factory and be manufactured and neither can spiritual unity. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And we cannot produce unity without having the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we don't do these things because of a responsibility. Oh, I've got to. No, no, no. You got it completely wrong. You get to. You get to. You would say, I got to go to church this morning. No, no. Ask people in North Korea. You got to come to church this morning. Oh, I got to read. Ask the people in China. No, you, you get to. It's the love of Christ, according to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 14. For it is the love of Christ that compels me, moves me, pushes me. 
It's the love of Christ in me because I know what he's done for me. I know in whom I believe and I know what he did for me on Calvary Street. And because I love him, because he first loved me, I'm compelled to serve him out of the overflow of the heart. You see, love unites, selfishness divides. Now, the Apostle Paul spoke about church leadership in many places, and we don't have time. And again, I wish we had hours and hours to go through this. But there's one other passage I want to share with you. So flip on over to Acts chapter 20. And I want to tell you about the church at Ephesus just a little bit. The church at Ephesus had such a very rich history. I'll give you just a little bit of background. Paul pastored the church at Ephesus for three full years. Imagine having Paul pastor a church three full years. Timothy pastored the church at Ephesus and the beloved apostle John pastored the church at Ephesus. So the story we're about to pick up on is Paul is coming through and instead of going back into Ephesus, he gets to Miletus and he calls the elders, pastors of the church to come on out to the beach at Miletus and he has his first ever pastor's conference. Imagine that pastor's conference. Again, this is the, the Apostle Paul telling these men whom he loved. He planted this church. He loved this church. And he's about to give them a do better talk. I would have loved to have been there. Roman numeral three, Paul's lifestyle in Ephesus. If your Bibles are open, Acts 20, look at verse 17. It says, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they had come to them, he said to them, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul said, I held nothing back from you, nothing. Paul was such a faithful witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because he loved these men and he loved Jesus so much, basically he's saying, I am pulling no punches with you. I'm holding nothing back. I'm not the candy man. I'm not sugarcoating the gospel for you. Here's the truth. There in your notes. But Paul was also victorious over temptations of the flesh. Think about what was happening to Paul. He's being attacked on every side, spiritually, physically, and every other way. All these fights going on, all these attacks coming. How easy would it have been to become lazy because of spiritual attacks? You ever get so spiritually attacked that you don't want to get out of bed in the morning? But he fought off laziness that could have happened from spiritual attacks. He overcame pride with humility. Again, this is the Apostle Paul. He overcame discouragement through these trials. And finally, he didn't give in to the fear of man. Paul tells us in Philippians how he did all these things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And again, you're never going to be perfect, but more Christ-like. And so what Paul is saying is, I suffered tears and trials by the plotting of the Jews and all my enemies. Do you know there's actual people out there who plot evil things against the church? It's so hard to believe, right? 
But he's saying, I held nothing back. I served you with 110% of my energy. I gave you everything I had. And what was his message? Again, verse 21, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the truth. If you get nothing else this morning, write this one down there in your notes. At the end of your time here on planet Earth, the only thing that will matter is knowing Jesus and having faith in him. It's all that's going to matter. Doesn't matter what your bank account looks like. Doesn't matter anything else. At the end of your time here, you're going to want to have that insurance policy. And so Paul knew that he was being faithful to the church at Ephesus. And so Roman numeral four, Paul followed the Lord's leading. Look at verse 22. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, seeing that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I've gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Listen to what he said. I don't know what's in store except for the Holy Spirit has confirmed in my heart that trials and chains await me. And yet I can't wait to go because none of these things move me. None of these things compel me. What did Paul mean? I go bound. Well, obviously we know that he ends up in jail, right? So we, we know that he meant that physically. But there in your notes... Paul was a willing slave under the Lord and he was bound by the direction of the spirit. Catch this with shackles of obedience and love. You know, so many times I say, God, just show me the next step and I'll go. Show me the next step and I go. And I think God might sit up there in heaven and go, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> if I were to tell you that you're going to end up in shackles and in prison and all this, maybe you won't go. And he knows, right? He knows better than we do. But Paul was obedient to the Lord. And he said, none of those things, my life doesn't matter. Nothing else moves me except for knowing Christ and preaching the gospel. That's called devotion and trust, folks. In verse 24, I'm not moved or shaken by the thoughts of trial because I don't count my life dear. Instead, Lord, I want to finish the race that you've given me to run. How could you do that? Because his focus wasn't himself. His focus was the Lord. And he had an eternal perspective. He didn't care what this life held. As long as I'm obedient to what Christ has called me to do, I'm going to do it. None of these things move me. All right, number five. So now here comes the warning to the leaders, the warning to the overseers of the church. Look at verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourself. And to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers 
to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Because of all that, therefore watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Take heed to yourself. What is he saying to these leaders? You want to be a good leader? There in your notes. The first thing a spiritual overseer needs to do is to cultivate and grow in their own relationship with the Lord. I've said this so many times, but it bears repeating. You cannot feed from an empty cart. You cannot properly mentor or teach anyone if you are spiritually empty. If you're not getting proper nourishment and proper prayer time, you can do no good for anybody else. You can't lead out of the flesh and hope to have spiritual things happen. Godly advice never comes from the flesh. You know, we all have spiritual blind spots, right? We all have those spiritual blind spots in our life. And the only way we can find those is through prayer, study of the word and the Holy Spirit. Paul said to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. It seems to communicate that we can all be self-deceived. We can all fall for the schemes of the evil one. So how do we discern if we have those spiritual blind spots? So I'm going to give you a test and a warning. Here's the warning. If you do this and God reveals some stuff to you and you don't heed his warning, it won't go well for you. Okay, write that down. It won't go well for me. Here's the test. Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. Again, do that. God, show me. Show me where my anxiety comes from. Show me the wicked ways in my heart. Show me, reveal it to me. And you pray that prayer. And God says, okay, sit down, get a pen. Here we go. And you sit there and you write them. Yeah, I'm anxious because I don't trust you. And I'm this and this thing needs to die in my life. And this relationship's no good for me. And this habit's no good for me. And you go, thanks God for letting me know. And then you don't act on it. It will not go well for you. I'm just here to tell you. And I only tell you that from personal experience. Search me, oh God. See where my anxieties come from. See if there be any wicked way in me. Here, Rich, these are the things you need to change. Seek God. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal those areas in your life that are not pleasing. And again, be careful doing it. But also study the word of God. Why? Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says about the word of God. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. The word of God is a discerner of your thoughts. And what's even worse is it knows the intents of your heart. The word of God can read your mind and even tell you what your intent is. The way to prevent our hearts from deceiving ourselves is through the word of God. And then he mentions prayer. By the way, here's a secret about prayer, right? God gave us two of these and one of these for a reason. We should listen twice as much as we talk. And, and then Paul says, through circumstances. The only thing I'm convinced of is that trials and chains await me. Can I tell you a secret? Go home and read the first five chapters of Job, if you don't think this is true. Nothing happens to a child of the living God without him knowing all about it. There in your notes, God has a plan and he's on his throne working it all out for our good and his glory. And, and so Paul says, beware of the flock of God, which God has made you overseers of. Every church faces spiritual trials. We have an enemy who not only hates God, but he hates us too. So you're gonna have some trials. Not only is false doctrine a problem, but pushy people who wanna push their agenda ahead of God's and, and these power hungry people that are roaming around, take heed of the flock of God. Be careful. And, and notice what Paul also says. And besides those people, who are going to come from the outside. You're actually going to have men when I leave that will rise up seeking to make disciples of themselves. That's a good test. Who are you trying to make a disciple of? You or Christ? And he says, savage wolves are going to come in seeking to devour the flock. Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly, they're ravenous wolves, and you will know them by their fruit. You want to recognize a wolf? Look at their life. How do they talk? Who do they hang out with? What are they doing? You'll know them by their fruit. So protect the flock through correct teaching and prayer. And again, Paul had such a heart for these believers. And then the final one that he talks about is be on guard for financial attack. And there's a twofold reason for that. Twofold. Number one, and the biggest reason is, watch out for leaders who want to fleece the sheep. Beware of those who would fleece God's sheep. And then beware of those who want to withhold giving, whether it be through time, talents of treasures. Beware. So let's get practical this morning. God uses his church to bring out the best in his kids. Every member is a minister in some way. And the Lord's plan is for us to grow in the grace and knowledge of him. And as every member is a minister, the Lord has given gifts that you should edify the rest of the body. Ephesians 2.10. For you are God's workmanship. The word is poema. It's a masterpiece. You're God's Mona Lisa. 
that he created in Christ Jesus, that you should do a certain good work and he had it planned before the foundation of the world. God prepared your spiritual gift before the foundation of the world, that you should do it. The Lord specifically made you with a pre-assigned task in mind. And you would say, what is that? I don't know, but I can help you discover it. It all begins with us being a new creation in Christ. And here's how a new creation lives. We surrender to the Holy Spirit. We keep the cross as the main focus. We're in constant communication with the Lord through prayer and study. And we're on guard against spiritual attacks. Why do I share that with you? Well, again, the rich history of the Ephesian church. Remember, Paul pastored for three full years there. Then Timothy, then the apostle John. And you would say, what church has it that good? Surely they had it the best. Can I tell you a secret? 35 short years later, after Paul had this pastor's conference on the beach at Miletus, I want to tell you what Jesus Christ had to say to this church. Do you think they had, they had the richest of leaders? They had the best of best of teachings. This is what Jesus said to them 35 years later. Revelation 2.4. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. That grieves my heart to have Jesus say that with such a rich history. Nevertheless, you have left your first love. So I want to close with giving you some qualities of good godly leaders. And this is not an exhaustive list and we don't have time to break down every single one of them. That's what February is for. But I'm going to give you a quick list. Listen to it. And if it kind of makes you hungry for more, fantastic. After lunch in February is on Sundays. You can go get your eggs and bacon with the family and come on back. And we'll go over some of this stuff. The warning is, is none of us can be perfect. If we could be perfect, Christ died in vain. But here you go. How can I live godly? Here's the verse. Paul, Galatians 5, 16. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not, you cannot. It's impossible to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the spirit and you cannot fulfill the lust of the flesh. Why? For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you don't do the things that you wish. Walk in the spirit and not the flesh and you can't. You can't do it. All right, so here we go. Number one, love is the most important characteristic of a godly leader. Love. Without it, you're simply a clanging gong. And I'm not talking about mushy love. If you know me at all, I'm that mushy stuff. <laughs> but it's Christ love for others. Number two, integrity, which is the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. Integrity. Are you known as a person of integrity? 
Here's another one that's not really easy for me because I'm not mushy. Number three, a godly leader needs empathy, which is the ability to imagine what someone else is thinking or feeling. Empathy. Number four, a godly leader is accountable and someone who takes responsibility for what they have done and gives a satisfactory answer for their actions. Number five, a godly leader shows humility, which is a biblical and modest view of someone's own importance. Humility. Number six, a godly leader inspires others to grow up in Christ while recognizing their own fallibility. Number seven, a godly leader has good communication and decision-making skills. Let me tell you what I tell my staff all the time. All the time. Tell me what you're going to do. And then do what you told me you were going to do. And if you do that, we have no problems. Tell me what you're going to do. And then do what you told me you're going to do. That's a good leader. Here's what I'm going to do. If something changes, let me know. Here's what I'm going to do. And then go do it. Here's another tough one. If you gravitate towards a negative like I do, I come by it pretty naturally. But number eight, a godly leader must possess positivity. And I'm not talking about, you know, you're never Debbie Downer or whatever. Negative Nancy. But we must allow the Holy Spirit to change our mind and make praiseworthy things the focus. Paul in Philippians 4, 8, meditate on praiseworthy, good things. Meditate on those things and then the peace of God will come upon you. Right. Number nine, a godly leader must be a good listener and able to control their tongue. Thank God I did say it wasn't perfection, right? <laughs> I did say we're all growing in this, right? Number 10, a godly leader must learn how to delegate to others and duplicate themselves. Duplicate yourself. And if God works you out of that ministry, then he's got something else for you to do. Delegate, duplicate, move on. Number 11, this is so important. Godly leaders are always learning and praying. If you are not a learning Christian, you are not a good leader. Always learning. Always praying. And number 12, finally, godly leaders are passionate about the things of the kingdom more than they're passionate about things of the world. I've always said that people talk about what they're passionate about. If, if you're known to always talk about one thing, one thing, one thing, and it's not the kingdom, then you're more passionate about things of the world than you are things of the kingdom. Because here's the thing. Those who truly know Jesus, truly love Jesus. Can't help it. If you truly know my Jesus, you truly love my Jesus. And if you truly love my Jesus, the love of Christ will compel you to serve him. It's a mind blower to me that God chose me. Sandra and I were talking about this just yesterday. She said, doesn't it blow your mind that God chose us to serve him in any capacity? 
And I said, it does so much, so many times it just blows my mind. You know, it blows my high school principal's mind too. But, <laughs> but it, it just should blow your mind that the creator God of the universe is so in love with you that he would call you to do anything for him. And, and yet he said, you are my workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which I prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. What did he prepare in you before the world was even formed to do? We need good godly leaders. And it's not that we're not getting by with what we have. We are. But as we grow, we want, you know, we miss things. There's lots of hospital visits. There's lots of things. Our congregation currently, we have a lot of sick people, a lot of people who are hurting, a, a lot of things. And there's no way our staff can handle everything. There's just no way. And so I'm asking you to pray. Is God calling you to do something? No, no, scratch that. God is calling you to do something. <laughs> the question is what and how and when? And you come together under the proper unity where every member's a minister to minister and build up the body, to edify the body of Christ, where Christ is the head. He's calling. Maybe you're not listening. Thank you for listening to Pastor Rich preach the sermon Leadership for the Church from Acts chapter 20 verses 17 through 32 and Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 16. Tune in next week as Pastor Rich preaches a topical sermon. Join us every Sunday morning either in person at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. or online at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Watch our live stream on our website, YouTube, or Facebook page. Our website is livingfaithklamath.com. To find our Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram profile, simply search for Living Faith Fellowship Klamath. You can also find these links in the description of this week's episode. All sermons are available on our website. Simply click on the resource tab and then click on sermons. If you want to show your appreciation, you can tell others about us, subscribe to our podcast, and you can also leave a review so more people can hear the word of God. Thank you again and God bless you.